Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Food Chat. Greg Bloom and Jackson Lamb here to talk to you about food every which way we can. Food Chat is always available uh, at 12:30 every Wednesday on 560 KLZ. And I'm Jackson Lamb and Greg Bloom, welcome to the studio. Welcome. Yeah, you welcome to you. Thanks for, uh, you know, coming down on the uh, middle of a great day to talk about. We're going to talk about how to cook the perfect steak at home. There's a lot to know about how to cook the perfect steak at home. There's just a lot of things to consider. You know, and I get asked this all the time, Chef, is how come when I go out to a restaurant and spend 150 to $200, the steak is usually awesome then I go home and I can't I can't match it. It doesn't it does it's not the same. Why? Well, I'll tell you. There's there's several reasons. One reason is a lot of the good stuff never makes it to our supermarket. True. You know, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the prime beef and a lot of the upper choice directly into the hospitality industry. Right. Country clubs, hotels, restaurants. And that's where they get sold the most. The other issue is so many, um, so many uh, supermarkets or local markets, very hard for them to sell prime beef because of the expense. But when you're going to divide that up into steak size, at $45 a steak at your favorite steakhouse, that's actually doable. Right. So, you know, the consumer, though, has a lot of other options when it comes to uh, buying a steak. You know, what kind of steak, what type of cut, what type of grade. And uh, we've talked about that in the past. We've had some beef uh, producers in the past Mm -hmm. talk about that. But today we're going to pretend we're in the kitchen. We're going to talk about some of the experiences we have had buying, cooking, smoking, serving, failing, and trying again. Okay. Well, let's start with the beginning, where to buy the best quality steaks. So one of our key sponsors, Ranch Fresh Meats, has an excellent supply at ranchfreshmeats.com of Wagyu beef, which is about two times USDA prime, super high quality steaks. All of those steaks have been wet aged for 30 days before they were froze. So we will talk next about aging because you cannot have a great quality steak at home unless it's been aged uh, in general. Uh, there's exceptions to that. So, But there's also ways to go into the supermarket, Chef, and look in that bargain bin. So let's just talk about that. So if they're not going to buy their Wagyu or their local Angus uh, steaks at ranchfreshmeats.com, but they just want to go into the local market, check out that bargain bin. Hey, they're on a budget. You know, they're paying off all their credit card bills, and, you know, I get it. You know, we're all on a tight budget. So what would they look for in the bargain bin, would you think? Well, my first bit of advice is don't go in saying, I need a T-bone steak. I need a New York strip. Right. I need a, a top sirloin. 
if you go in looking for a specific cut, you might be disappointed. Right. So go in with an open mind. And quite often, you'll be surprised. I can remember many years ago going into a, a larger supermarket here in town and looking at brisket. There was a whole brisket in there, and it wasn't labeled. And I had said to the butcher, oh, I remember way back in the day when those were 99 cents a pound. Son of a gun, the guy comes out and slaps a sticker on it, 99 cents a pound. It was like an 18-pound brisket, and out the door I went. So a lot of times being in the right place at the right time is one consideration. Yeah. The other issue is if you're looking at that bargain bin and, well, I don't see the steaks I'd like to buy, but I see there's diced beef. I see there's uh, – here's a cut of beef I'm not familiar with. Uh, it's called a, a skirt steak. I don't know what the heck that is. So we will often see things that might be different for us. That's part of the fun of cooking. Right, right. Typically in that bargain bin, you'll see that they're trying to get rid of that day the steaks that are three or four days old that were in the white tray with the plastic overwrap, the ones they've cut in the store. Those typically are not aged for 30 days like a restaurant chef would serve. But if they have 12, 7, 8 days on them, no problem. They're still going to be okay. And, you know, this isn't fish and this isn't chicken. So... It can be a little off color. It can be a little brown because the oxidation, as long as it doesn't smell sour or smell rotten, you're okay. Because that steak ages, it'll get a little brown. There's no problem with that steak. If it's half price, take it home and figure out how to cook it, right? You bet. You know, in previous shows, we've talked about aging, dry age and wet age. Correct. And from a food science perspective... Another way to look at that is controlled decomposition. Right. That's really what's happening. What's happening in the aging process is the tendons in the muscles are breaking down. Right. So that what you wind up with after 30 days of wet aging, when we leave it in the cryovac package in its original purge, if you will, and let it sit alone or... As we've seen in several other uh, meat shops in town, where it's dry aged, exposed to air. Right. I've seen some of those hanging up. They're looking a little gnarly. Yeah, but they trim all that off. And, you know, uh, if they're not going to buy it at ranchfreshmeats.com and they don't find what they want in the bargain bin, but, hey, it's their birthday and they want to splurge, then I would recommend you go to one of the local Denver area family-owned meat shops and get a good quality stick there. There's Tony's Meats. There's Sam's Meats. There's Edward's Meats. There's Wally's Meats. There, there's a lot of great meat stores. And if you must support the Big Kahuna Go to Whole Foods. They have great quality yeah. steaks. They do. They do dry aging at most stores, too. So, you know, not that Jeff, the owner of Amazon, needs any more business from any of us, but he does sell some high-quality food. And if you're splurging, then why not? But let's get into, now you've brought home that steak that you want to cook, and you want to cook it. What if they don't have a Traeger grill? You know, I'm not a big fan of these pellet grills, but what if they've just got a cast iron pan or just a skillet? Uh, you know, what, 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 what do they got to Think about what are they going to do? How are they going to cook this steak? What would you suggest? You know, that's that's a great question because as we take a look across the demographics of our neighbors, some people might have a $100,000 kitchen and some people might have a $1,000 kitchen, right. you know. Some people might have the six-burner wolf range and somebody else might just have a hot plate. Right. 
But it's amazing that if you have some basic components, you can be successful in the kitchen. So, okay, we've got that steak. We brought that home. Now what do we do? Well, the first thing we want to do is we want to make sure it's cut so that it is level. It is even. And what I mean by that, it doesn't have a wedge shape when you look at it from the side. Right. And, and, Greg, what would happen if it did have a wedge shape? Well, one, one member of the family would get well done and the other would get medium rare, I guess. I think that's exactly <laughs> what happens. The, the thinner side will, will completely cook before the thicker side is well on its way. So we want to make sure that uh, to, inform, to uh, ensure uniformity, we want to make sure that that's a level piece of meat. Uh, we want to probably season that meat as well. And not season it and put it in the pan, but season it and let it sit for a little bit. Right. You know, a lot of people think, oh, salt is so bad. We should get away from the sodium. We need sodium. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, wildlife in, uh, on our ranches need sodium. We put salt licks out there, right. them, don't, right. don't we? Yeah. Right. So, right. so as a result, salt is really needed in, in the human diet, and it really does help break down some of the meat also it helps tenderize that meat and as we wait 30 minutes after we tenderize that and another great idea is if you can get that meat at room temperature that's ideal in fact let's just talk about temperatures in general man it's been a cold month Mm -hmm. i try to keep the house warm but even if the house is at 68 68 is a lot warmer than 38. Mm -hmm. So let's get that meat out of the refrigerator. Let's get it at room temperature. As we go to cook it, okay, where is rare? Where is medium rare? Where is medium? Mm -hmm. You know, rare is about 135 degrees. So when you think about it, you've got that steak that you brought home for your birthday. You've got a a special uh, uh, dinner coming up. We want to be able to cook that to an internal temperature of a hundred and probably hundred and thirty degrees, and then let it retherm. There's a term we haven't talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Retherm. Um, we want to allow all the juices to to resettle throughout all of the meat mm-hmm. so that it, it is juicy at the end and it's flavorful. Right. So it, we don't want to necessarily pull it off the pan, pull it off the grill, and cut right into it. Let it rest. Yeah, let it rest. Just like a roast. Five Ab- minutes. You know, let it cool down. Five let it minutes. Set up. Yeah. So that way the, the, the juice will stay in the steak. It's a redistribution it's of the up. juices. Exactly. Now, what would you do about, uh, you, you said, I, I love to just use salt and pepper. I use coarse ground pepper that usually is out of a grinder. I'm grinding the pepper on it, smelling it. And then I use coarse salt. I don't use the fine, but you could use whatever you have at home. But what about oil? If you're going to put a steak that's at room temperature because you left it out for three or four hours and now it's at uh, 60 degrees instead of uh, 38 degrees, so that steak has less distance to go uh, than it when it was cold, so it's going to cook more consistently and quicker. What kind of oil would you put? You have a cast iron grill. That's all you've got. Okay, you bought it at Walmart for twenty bucks. Uh, you hit that thing up to five hundred degrees because you know you're supposed to cook at a high temperature to sear the juices in. What What do you do for oil? Does that steak need oil? What kind of oil would you use if well, you used oil? You know, when we take a look at any type of 
grease, if you will. All right. That's mm-hmm. really what oil is. We're trying to sure. lubricate uh, the pan, the, the protein, whatever. The issue what we need to understand is what's called smoke point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Different oils have different smoke points. And, and what I mean by that is at what temperature do we start making clouds in the kitchen? Okay. So I'll share with you that probably peanut oil has the highest smoke point of all. So we can get peanut oil very, very hot right. without any smoke. Okay. Right. Uh, next one down is probably canola oil. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and canola is a made-up word, Canadian oil, low acid. Mm-hmm. Those Canadians, they got a word for everything, They're good don't marketers. They? Sure. Oh, you bet. <laughs> you betcha. Yeah. Coming down the list, there's olive oil. And uh, I think it's probably one of the most misused oils out there because, first of all, it's one of the most expensive. Okay? So because of the expense, a lot of times we use it in cold applications, salad dressings, and we use it in hot applications, saute work. Well, you know, when you get into olive oil, then you've got, you've got extra virgin olive oil. You have virgin olive oil, then you have regular olive oil, and then you have what we call pumice. And that is, those are grades of olive oil. Mm-hmm. Extra virgin olive oil is really meant to be used in a cold application. Plain olive oil without all the other adjectives for saute work. So it's important that we know that it's the most expensive oil out there. So if I hear what you're saying, that peanut oil is the best oil for high, high temperature because the smoke point is pretty high. But what about butter? I like to cook in butter. What's the smoke point of butter? See, I'm coming down, coming down, coming down. Keep going. Butter's next on the list. Oh, below olive oil. That has the lowest smoke point of all, okay? Because it's got milk solids in there, and they're going to burn off. Okay. In fact, sometimes you'll hear the term clarified butter. Right. Will you clarify that? I can't can't clarify that. (laughs) Clarified butter is when we take butter and we melt it slowly and we remove the milk solids that float to the top Uh uh, from the oil, okay? But... We normally just slice off a hunk of butter, throw it in the pan, and off it goes. Right. Butter will start to smoke at 170 degrees. Okay. So is that good or is that bad? Depends. It depends. depends. Right. Absolutely right. You know, I know uh, that what we like to achieve when we are cooking anything is we have to remember that people eat with their eyes. Mm-hmm. And so... Probably cooking that steak in the pan. In fact, I've, I'm cooking a. I've got a steak in my sous vide machine right now. That's going to be finished off in a cast iron pan tonight. And if I use butter, it's going to kick in and caramelize the outside of the meat. Uh, that's called the Maillard effect. Mm-hmm. But when that happens, what uh, all of a sudden. I've got a little bit of a crispiness on the outside. Yum. But the sous vide was set at 126 degrees. We just talked about temperatures earlier. So I'm at rare to get started here. Mm-hmm. So even if I saute that for three, five minutes on either side and get that beautiful golden brown on the outside, I'm still going to be medium rare on the inside. Right. So it's a, it, it's a great way to combine um, – and some people will do a combination of, of butter and olive oil in the same pan. 
Because then what you're doing is you're bringing in additional flavor from the olive oil and you're allowing to have a higher smoke point. Granted, you're going to burn off the butter, but the olive oil will stay with you. So what would you think about this technique? I've got my uh, my ribeye steak or my top sirloin steak, whatever, and I've let it uh, sit out on the counter. And then I here's my technique. I'm going to take a uh, thin coat of olive oil and wipe it on the steak. Not the pan, not the cast iron pan, but I wipe it on the pan. Then I do my salt and pepper. Then I let it sit. And then I put it in the cast iron pan, and it's on high. But that olive oil has got a higher smoke point than butter. But then I'm going to get it a little bit brown, and then I'm going to add butter. But I'm going to do that after the pan's cooled down a little bit because I like the flavor of butter. And I like all those Too Tasty videos they show online on the social media where you're scooping the butter, spooning the butter over the ribeye steak, and it's turning nice and brown and delicious. But, you know, your pan can't be too hot or you have a smokestack coming up. So what do you think of that technique? That's a great technique. Um, a, A parallel story here is... Lately at home, I'm playing around with Asian cooking. And so I'll start with a canola oil because I'm doing fried rice with, with pork or chicken or vegetables. Mm-hmm. But I want to add sesame oil, low smoke point. So, I, so sesame oil is just kind of like butter. It's almost added at the end as a flavor addition. Mm. And so that's really what you're alluding to, the butter, you know, and, and uh, again, Spreading that over the prime rib. The biggest mistake I think people make that they tell me about is they overcooked that steak. They, they didn't realize how fast it was going to cook in that hot environment. And then it turns into a, a piece of shoe leather yeah. because now it's well done. So, you know, it doesn't need much time, especially if you sous vide it to 130 in the middle already. But even if you didn't, you know, if you just want to, uh, you know, maybe t- it depends on how thick the steak is, right? So a thicker steak is better in general in that it holds more moisture, takes a little longer to cook, and then retains that heat after it's rested, right? That is correct. The other issue is when we're cooking, you can always cook it longer, but right. you can't Could back it back. up. You can't, can't go, go back. backwards. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you've got to be able to uh, test as you go. You know, that really is uh, what you need to do. In other uh, shows, we've talked about the value of having a meat thermometer so that we can kind of really probe as we go. In fact, some of these newer ovens have the, uh, the probe where you just attach it into the meat, it tells you exactly what the internal temperature is right. without even having to open the oven the That's oven a great door. tool. I think it's a great tool to any, any kitchen to have. Now, let, let's talk about uh, some steaks that people might hear about or want to cook, but they're steaks. This is a steak show. What about cube steak or chicken fried steak? What is that? You know, it, I'll tell you what it is. It's one of the most confusing terms out there <laughs> because a lot of people... Oh, I thought I was getting chicken. So the the real story there is that's a great use for a tough piece of meat. Right. So typically in my history in the kitchen, we would use probably a bottom round, mm-hmm. uh, eye of round. But even so, it's kind of, uh, it is tough. And so the meat gets tenderized. And there's a special machine that has hundreds of needles that that poke holes in the meat and kind of it really does tenderize it in your local supermarket that might be uh, labeled as a cube steak right well really what that's intended for is for you to go home and bread that that piece of beef with flour egg and breadcrumbs just as you would bread chicken 
And that's where the name comes in. Right. You know, so in fact, some restaurants will have um, chicken fried steak and chicken fried chicken, just to clarify Mm -hmm. uh, that technique. Yeah. But again, chicken fried steak, I used to work in a place many years ago. We served a chicken fried steak sandwich on a toasted hamburger bun with coleslaw instead of lettuce. Oh, Right. Greg, that was that was a great sandwich. I think that this is a great uh, topic to spend just a few minutes on because the uh, chicken fried steaks are delicious, especially if you do them right. And I want to talk to you next about the, the, the three steps to make that. But if you had a piece of round meat, usually they use round because it's so lean. You don't want something with a lot of fat in it. You don't want something with a lot of sinew in it or seams. But they'll take a, a piece of round, like four ounces. And I've worked in many meat plants where they're making them all day long for food service. They'll put them through two or three times in different directions. Sure. So that they can turn out kind of like a circle or an oval. And then they've been through that uh, that knife machine three, four times, and then they're put in a, a package. But if you do that at home, you can just buy this already done at the retail store. But if you want to upgrade it from a round steak, you can actually ask the meat cutter, hey, can you make me some uh, 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 cube steak out of sirloin? That's a great steak. Yeah. Make a sirloin. Usually you want these to be four, five, six ounces. But now they've got that cube steak at home and they open the package. Then what do they do? Well, I'll tell you, let's just go backwards just for a second. When I alluded to the chicken fried steak sandwich, yeah, the restaurant I was working in, we were using New York Strip. Yum. So, and that was on the dinner menu, okay? Oh, but we wanted to be able to um, move that product out during lunch also, but we couldn't sell the New York Strips, you know, for at nineteen ninety five at, at the time. Sure, too expensive. Yeah. So what we would do is we had the chicken fried steak on the on the menu, and instead of having the needle machine, okay, the smaller version is called a jacquard. I've got one at home. Right, it's got fifty little tiny needles mm-hmm. that come through, and I gotta just, you know. Pound a, a piece of meat maybe maybe five or six times, and I'm right where I need to be. Right. But what we would do is we would um, use the big mallet. You've seen those. Yeah, the big mallet. Yeah. So and and there's a different. Um, uh, uh, there's four sides to the head. You know, one is a flat side, one has a dimpled side, one has um, a sharp dimpled side. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's so there's di- different textures there. Right. Well, we would use that just just pound the meat right then and there, and then again um, dip it into flour. Critical that we dip it into flour because the flour sticks to the protein. Okay, flour's first. Yeah, and whether it's chicken or Steak, uh-huh. you know, flour comes first. Flour's first, okay. Then we dip it into egg. Is this a whole egg or just egg white? This is egg, a whipped egg. Whipped Scram- eggs. Scrambled whipped eggs. eggs. Scrambled, scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs. Okay. And what we go, well, why don't you just go right to the breadcrumbs? Well, because they won't stick. So oh. the whole idea is the flour sticks to the protein. The egg sticks to the flour. The breadcrumbs stick to the egg. Ah. So we we go in that order, and that is how we get a breaded product. Breaded onion rings, same thing. Same thing. Breaded chicken wings, same process. Got it. Uh, Chick-fil-A, same process. Now, do you just use the breadcrumbs that you buy in the store in the container that's bread? They're very inexpensive. You're not drying out bread and and you're making your own breadcrumbs. You could. Well, uh, you could. In fact, uh, any restaurant that is uh, 
you know, trying to be sustainable. They're saving all their day-old bread if they're using bread at all. Okay. You know, that's another thing we've seen go away in restaurants is bread. Yeah, you're right. You don't uh, get it anymore. Well, everybody's gluten intolerant these days, you right. know, and, uh, and God, oh, we can't have any butter either. So, you know, all of a sudden, those two favorite staples are not as available as they used to be back in the day. So I got my chicken fried steak and I did it just like you said. I have it uh, put it first in the flour and then in the egg wash real quick, dip yep. it on both sides, and then uh, in the breadcrumbs, get it yeah. nice and cool with breadcrumbs. It's ready to go in the pan. What do I do now? How much oil am I putting in that pan? We, we need some oil here. What kind of oil sure. do we want to use? Well, I'll tell you, I, I would say canola oil would be the most economical because right. you want to be able to have enough oil to at least submerge this halfway. Right. All right. This way you can ensure a, a beautiful golden brown on one side. Before you flip it over. So that's probably at least a quarter inch. It depends on how thick your steak is, but it's probably at least a quarter inch of oil, right? Absolutely. So right. next thing you know, that translates to probably a cup of oil. A cup of oil. So so as a result, um, we've got the uh, smallest container that you can buy is probably 32 ounces. So you've just used a quarter of the bottle. Got it. Okay. You know? Got it. Can you use that oil again and again and again? Not really. I well, don't know. It's going to taste funny, isn't it? Well, it's... Oh, you mean talk about making more and more chicken fried steaks, or are you talking about after you've made your chicken fried steaks? Let's just say that I'm making uh, eight chicken fried steak sandwiches at home. Oh, okay. I got, okay. I got you. And I don't use a, a cup of oil. I use two cups of oil. Right. Okay? By the time I get done with that oil, man, I what do you think's floating around in there? Breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs. I got stuff. flour in there. I got probably some bits of steak. Right. Pretend we're in a restaurant. We don't just throw the oil away. You get out a paper coffee filter. You allow that oil to cool down. You run it through the filter, okay? You might have to run it through a, a screen also, but you can filter that out. Oh, and reuse it. If it's cold, put it back in the same bottle. That's, okay. your, that's your frying oil when you need frying oil. Got it. And then you can just put it away. So how much time do you think if you're at high temperature and you're using your canola oil, you're talking probably, what, two or three minutes aside before it's golden brown? I'd, I'd say three minutes, maybe four. And then you're going to flip it when it's golden brown? and then Yeah, you know. and you can take a peek. You don't have to commit to flipping the whole <laughs> thing over. Take a peek, right? Take a peek. Yeah. And uh, so you can just kind of take a peek to see what it looks like. Um, and it's a delicious Oh, yeah, it's delicious. Product. Don't overcook it. I've done that before. And then if you want to make add a gravy, any kind of gravy, wonderful. You know, you don't have to have a gravy, but gravy is nice. Well, that, that, uh, that uh, sausage country gravy, great one. Right. Well, hey, we've gone over, you know, some of the things, not everything, but some of the things people need to know about how to cook a perfect steak at home. So I thank you for all your... Uh, Knowledge on how to cook a perfect chicken fried steak, because that's not been my specialty. Um, any concluding thoughts, Chef? I think that um, don't be afraid of trying a new piece of protein out of that bargain bin. That's exactly right. Yeah. Or go into your local meat store and say, hey, what's on sale today that you need to get rid of? They've always got something that needs to go away. So, Hey, uh, real quick, the class closing thought is all the new um, advertisements come out on Wednesday. Go shopping on Tuesday to see what's in the bargain bin. That's right. That's a good tip. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us at Food Chat, teaching you all things about food, food production, and today, how to cook the perfect steak at home. It's been great having you, and don't forget to go to ranchfreshmeats.com, one of our key sponsors, and look for some great steaks there.
the plants, the fields in the spring to turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown that got him on his feet with handshake of money. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night. Raising a son, raising a daughter. They gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.